The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. I will not wear the mask. 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 I will not wear a mask. I will not get the vaccine. I will not get the vaccine. And I will not get the vaccine. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust, and I will not be afraid. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day. For the Lord is the great God, and the great King above all. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? Righteousness and justice are the foundation of this I hate world. the work of those who fall away. With my mouth I'll make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall stand. On an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp, with harmonious sound. For you, O Lord, have made me glad through your works. I will you, triumph Lord, in the works of your are on high forevermore. For behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. I will defy tyrants. 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 And with that, good morning, America. Welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, all the boat rockers in the house, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty Radio Show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S.-occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so. SonsOfLibertyRadio.com and also SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. In fact, you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio, and you would like to uh, watch the video portion of the radio show. That's right. You can see the face that's made for radio. Head over to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and you'll see two videos there at the top of the page. The one on the left is Bradley's show from yesterday, and uh, you can click on that and play it up until 3 o'clock today. And I'm assuming he's going to be there. I know they're doing Minnesota State Fair, but usually he is there uh, for two hours today. So that begins at 3 p.m. Eastern right there at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. On the right side is where we are. And if you click on play, blow that up on whatever device you've got on, uh, it should pop right up in the live stream. And then in the bottom right-hand corner, you'll see a rumble icon. Click on that. 
and it'll take you over into the chat and rumble. We are streaming live on rumble at sons of Liberty radio live. We're also on beforeitsnews.com, top of the page there. DLive.tv at the sons of Liberty on a variety of smaller Facebook pages that they still allow me to have for some, whatever reason uh, we're on there. A lot of our friends are in there. And then um, also, yeah, I picked up that Twitter account uh, just because I found out I could stream straight to it, so that's why I was doing it. The Real Tim Brow. Don't put the N in there and then add a 2 instead of an N. Uh, again, my fault. Apparently, somebody else is The Real Tim Brown, but that's where you can find them. <laughs> uh, right up under where we're streaming live is where you can sign up for our email newsletter. Uh, that goes out once every day, usually in the evening. If you want our ministry email, go to sonsoflibertyradio.com. You can sign up on the front page there. That's once a week. It'll come out today, later today. Uh, that's what we're doing in the ministry each week out among the 50 states uh, on the Internet and, and the radio. And so if you haven't signed up for that, be sure to do that as well. Also, if you'd like to help us out and you agree with our message, there's a donate button at the top of the page. Click on that and make a one-time donation. Or you can partner with us as a son or daughter of Liberty. Uh, and that's our monthly partners, and we appreciate you all. Even those of you who may not support us financially, you pray for us, you come in, you, um, uh, you, you contribute in the chat or... In some cases on Bradley's show, you can call in. Unfortunately, we don't have the phone line anymore, and I don't know when we're going to get that thing back, but we'll, we'll see about it. Uh, we appreciate you guys very much. Also, our store is available. This week, we're highlighting the Sons of Liberty dog tags. Now, these are mock-up pictures, those of you who are looking, so they don't look like the real thing. Okay, The real thing looks really good. Same size as a military dog tag made out of, I think it's a high-quality steel is what I think it is. Um, they come in silver, and they come in black. They say Sons of Liberty on one side, 1 John 3.18 on the other side. And this week, and they're normally $8, this week only through tonight at midnight, Saturday at midnight, you can get 10% off when you use the promo code LOVE, which is what 1 John 3.18 is all about. It is, it is love, Our love is demonstrated in actions, or it's in actions, not words, okay? Not merely words. And so if you want to pick that up again, uh, they're pretty popular. You guys asked for them, so uh, you get 10% off through midnight tonight. And if you want to do that, Now's the time to do that. Now, I'm. Uh, let me make reference to just a couple of uh, things that you can find here on SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. I haven't done that in a couple of days. I've just been sticking it in the archive, and we're not going to play any videos today, uh, but I will have some bonus videos in the archive. If you didn't get yesterday's archive, I did happen to address with an old documentary we put out at NicingCouncil.com when I was there. And uh, it was because you're hearing all this stuff stir up about UFOs, okay? And we need to have a response to that as to what's going on. And I think it's probably one of the best ones that I've seen done from a biblical worldview. It's called the UFO Conspiracy. And so I'll, I'll put that in today's archive, too. But uh, you guys can check that out. That was from a friend, uh, Brian Barkley, who's gone on to be with the Lord now, but... Uh, be sure and check that out in the archive if you're interested in it. It's a documentary, and it comes from a biblical worldview, okay? All right, so here's a couple of headlines here from SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. Jeffrey Epstein mentor Stephen Hoffenberg found dead. Hmm, yeah, well, he was 77, so, you know, people die at 77. Uh, but in these kind of camps, uh, they say, oh, he wasn't taking very good care of himself. I'm just, I, I guess I'm just too cynical. I, I don't, I don't buy it. Uh, also, if you missed yesterday's show, in fact, the past two weeks, we've just had some really, really great shows. 
And, uh, and I'm not saying that pat me on the back. I'm talking about some of our guests and the information that's been out there has just been incredible. Douglas Bond was on, and Douglas Bond has had this tremendous impact upon me and my family uh, through the books that he's written because we use them in, in educating our kids here at home. And uh, if you missed that, boy, you missed a lot of great history. So be sure and check that out, sonsoflibertymedia.com. Also, under Biden, you're four times more likely to face an IRS audit. Hmm. Probably because of all those agents of the state they're trying to acquire, right? Um, yeah, and we've seen they're, they've been training to take down small business owners. They've been trained to, uh, you know, want to use deadly force. It, this is a criminal organization is what it is. That's what we have. The District of Criminals is not an exaggeration. It is, a, it is organized crime. That's what it is. How one spook-run London College Department is training the world's social media managers. Also, uh, new from our friend and U.S. veteran, uh, Leon Besager, uh, Communist China is buying U.S. businesses, General Electric, Smithfield Foods, IBM, Tesla, and there's a whole lot more of them in there. Also, Bill Gates Investment Fund cheers Biden's $350, $350 million in green pork, and I don't guess anybody should be um, surprised at any of that. Okay, All right, so here's what we got today. Uh, we got a special show. Kate's on with us as always, and... Um, We've also got a guest with us, and uh, I, I find it kind of fascinating. <laughs> this, this is uh, Martine Warman, and Kate is with us as always. Good morning, ladies. Great to see you. Good morning. Morning. And, and you can see they're bright and smiley. And, uh, you know, one, I, I titled this, let me get back to my title here, because I, I did a, a little, little, little research on uh, Martine. She was on a show called Ninja Warrior. Now, I'm, I'm assuming, Martine, that's something like they have here in the States. Um, I caught glimpses of something one time, American War, uh, American Ninja or something. It's like an obstacle course thing. Is that what's going on there? Just want to yeah, make sure. Yeah, it's the exact same. It's just a UK version. Okay. All right. So I titled that The Ninja Mum Warrior uh, Fought to Save Her Premature Baby During the Pandemic. And that's what we're going to be talking about. But before we do, I have one thing I want to read. And, and the audience knows that I've read this. This is something that I, I read at the birth of each of our children, whether they were in the hospital or whether they were here at home. And it comes from Psalm 127. Beginning of verse 3, he says, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord. Uh, some versions put it as an inheritance or a reward. from the, They're a gift from God. That's where we get that, that from. They're a gift from God. And the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. And then it continues on into chapter one, uh, 128. He said, Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways, for thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house. Thy children like olive plants round about thy table. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion, and thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children and peace upon Israel. And again, we've talked about Israel. Israel is the people of God. It's not some geopolitical thing. Uh, that's what it is. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing our first children's children here, hopefully in a week or two, I'm hoping. Uh, but we're, we're, we're looking forward to, to God's promises 
that he made to us in seeing that. But I want to welcome you, Martin, and Kate, as always, you're here. And so, Kate, I'm going to, I'm going to toss it over to you first, if you want to kind of lead us off into what we're going to be talking about with Martine and, uh, and her little girl and what went on with her family. Just before I do, I must apologize because you can see in the background, <laughs> Mr. Raphael is having the best time ever with a dog biscuit <laughs> okay. and charging around the sofa, <laughs> trashing it. Um, having So I'm just going to leave him having fun because, of course, when we get older and we, we have teenagers, that's when we get to ours. Um, <laughs> so I'm just going to finish with Hebrews 11.23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child. And they were not afraid of the king, king's edict. And I think that's quite pertinent to, for today because I know, I don't know whether Martine, Martine did some pretty uh, amazing things on her own that she might be prepared to talk about or not to protect her child. And she knew in her, in her gut, and we talk about that gut instinct, which of course is the Holy Spirit. She knew what was going on and she knew that she had to do uh, not just her will, but Pretty amazing things to, to save her child. Now, in, in, on your website, Tim, you've got a document, um, which is for anyone who's pregnant, um, what you need for nutrition. And we always say the most important part of a child's life is that year before they're conceived. And that's when you would absolutely um, flood the mother's body with nutrients. And this is why I'll be working with uh, Dr. Jafito uh, down in Guatemala with all the midwives. This is very important. And now more than ever, because um, we know that EMF uh, is very damaging to children and to the unborn child. And we know that 60 gigahertz and up, as Mark Steele has told you, with that baby inside the mother. And this is why you had 10 babies stillborn within a week, seven one day, three another up in Burnley in 2020. And the midwives were scratching their heads because there was virtually no amniotic fluid. This is profound that we know that all of this electromagnetic uh, radiation has an impact on the growing child. Now, the first three months of that baby's uh, life, when it's what conception occurs and that baby starts to grow, those first three months are the most vital when all of the organs begin to form. And when there's anything done during that time, this is when you start to see anomalies. After that three months, that baby just has to grow in size. It's absolutely perfect when you look at that baby at 12 weeks. It's a, a miniature baby. It's beautiful. It's perfect. After that, the baby has to lay down brown fat and white fat and grow in size. And this is why when babies are born prematurely, their skin almost looks transparent and they look kind of skinny because scrawny. Now, I had my twins at uh, 35 plus five days premature and they were really scrawny, little bony backsides. Um but it's, it's very important that first three months. So when you're going on your jollies and you're going through those x-ray machines, that's going to be x-raying your baby as well. When you're standing near your microwave, I don't have one, but for anyone who does, that's microwaving you as well and everyone else that's 10 feet out. So everything the mother did. So remember, you were inside your grandmother, the eggs that made you shortly after your mother was conceived, all the eggs that she had were there very early on. So the eggs were then exposed to what the grandmother did. And then when the mother was born, what the mother did during her life, then you were conceived and, and so on. And what she did when you were pregnant and then when you were a little baby. So all these things together have a profound effect on that growing baby. Uh, so please do go look at that document. And 
I just want to um, kind of dedicate today's show, which I don't normally do, to all of those babies that were born and didn't make it or had their lives tragically cut short because they were murdered during termination. Um, and even we know that terminations up to 24 weeks, now they want to do it up to term, which is horrific. When you look at Martine's pictures of her beloved daughter, it's quite profound. But I want to dedicate the show to all of those that didn't make it. And especially um, a little baby, my children's godmother, Mariella, who was born just over 26 weeks. And she died very quickly, within 24 hours. Um, Jonathan was her father, Vic Victoria's her mother, and Jordan was her brother. She would have been the only daughter of that couple, but she didn't make it. And that little baby was so tiny, the length of your hand, quite remarkable. So when, when I see Martine's little girl making it and the pictures of what she's like now, I sincerely believe it, it wasn't really, okay, we have all the intervention in the Skaboo baby units, the special care baby units. This is quite different. This is all about that intention. And we know that's what prayer is. It's an intention. And this really was a mother's love and the intention. And of course, her husband, we have to say that, and an older sister. Um, so I'm just going to hand it over now to what Martine did, because I, I, I have her book here and I've put a link on the Telegram page and the link to the Devil's Tool Amazon. Um, and I've, I've actually stated that every single midwife and nurse needs to buy this book and this will also be on our website they really do need to buy it um because i think unless you you know you know that family or you know then you don't there's not that love bond there and all these hospitals now are so huge so i think it's important that we we also see all the good that come out of it and, and we've covered this on the show as well we know that they use these premature baby units for organ um, harvest that's exactly what they do and somebody who works very closely with Sherry Tempenny used to work in one of these in, in intensive care as well. Pediatrics, we know. And um, we've talked about that on the show. So I will now hand over to Martine. Please do purchase this book. It's got wonderful, wonderful pictures in it. And, and you know, one of the things I love, um, they really are a gorgeous looking couple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, that, that's a happy, that's a happy family there. He's as handsome as she is, as beautiful. And you just look at the pair of them and you think, mm, somebody got all good genes. But, you know, this is what happens when beauty comes from within. When you are beautiful and pure of heart, it will shine out of you. And, you know, they, they are a beautiful couple and they've made beautiful children. Hmm. Okay. Martine, okay. let, let, let me let me ask you, and then we'll get the we'll get the ball, ball rolling. By the way, Martine was kind enough to uh, to send me a copy as well, and um, and I put the link there for you guys who are in the chat. Uh, for those of you who are uh, on the radio, uh, her book is titled "Shared Moments with a Stranger." Born at 24 weeks, weighing 745 grams in a global pandemic, a mother ensures her daughter's survival. So, Martine, why don't you start from the beginning? Just kind of tell us what went on. Uh, with with your life because you already had one little girl and then all of a sudden it's like you sense it and from what I'm reading your your little girl senses it because she sees your tummy or something do you want to tell us how that started and, and what went on yeah so we just moved into a, a new house um, all our plans were was to get the house how we wanted it and to settle in and just to find our feet and 
lots of things were closed at that time the gyms were closed so I wasn't my usual active self and I started gaining a bit of weight and I, I knew that we're also eating more at home more you're snacking more and two things really this whole the whole experience from Malia being from conception till now has been a very spiritual experience for me and I remember my cat she just stared at me for ages all the time really weirdly until I said to my husband don't you think this is odd that the cat keeps looking at me like this she'd crawl up right onto my chest and just stare at me in my face and I'd be like this is so odd and I'd keep moving her off oh she gets loads of fuss anyway she's a very cuddly lovely cat but she just kept looking at me and then um my daughter she was upstairs with me and I was uh, getting chained and she says mommy have you got a baby in her tummy and I just it was the first time I actually thought uh, well that yeah maybe maybe I didn't say that to her but the way my my shape looks I've seen my how my shape changes and I, I did think this isn't how I normally look I've seen this tummy before and that's when I was pregnant with Imani so it was actually when she said that to me is when I decided to take a pregnancy test so I took several because I because we weren't trying we we're doing the opposite of trying and I, and I just thought this is just amazing how a baby can come through me when we are not trying we're busy with everything we've got going on and so it was a real shock to start with. And my husband, he's a musician and he hadn't worked for the year because of all of his gigs were cancelled. And we're in a fortunate position not for him to go out and get a job. However, when I showed him the pregnancy test, he was like, OK, I'm, I'm going to get a job for, for now just to, to help us a little bit. And so the pregnancy mirrored my daughter's pregnancy. So I already knew she was going to be a girl, not just from that, just for many reasons. I had the same cravings, which was watermelon. Um, everything seemed the same except this knowing of her coming early I just knew she was going to come early I didn't know how early but I knew she come early and the conversation I had with my husband were always make sure you keep this period of time free and he was like well the due date was actually the same due date as my daughter's birthday which was another another strange thing that happened and so he's telling me he's not going to book gigs in around that time and we've got to book them in these dates. I said, no, keep it all free. He said, well, how do you know the baby's going to come out? He said, just keep it all free. Um, we couldn't keep the whole time free, but I wanted him to keep a considerable amount aside. And then we decided to go private. We had a private, we used a private midwife company. We had our scan privately. And then the midwife wasn't due to meet me because I'm a second, it would be my second birth and it wanted to be a home birth. She wasn't going to meet me until about 26 or 28 weeks. So we had um, chats and conversations. She got to know me that way. Um, and everything, everything was going fine until it all went fine the whole way through. And then I started to have signs of labor before, before I actually had a contraction. So I started to lose my mucus, mucus plug, but it looked different. So it wasn't the same as with my other daughter. It wasn't, I didn't recognize it as much. And I was hesitant to go anywhere and be probed, probed, probed and prob, prodded about with. So um, I spoke to a few people around me. One was a homeopath. One was going to be my doula, um, my midwife. And all of them were saying it was too early. It's probably this, that and the other. And then I had quite a big bleed. So I actually thought, well, let me go and have a scan just to check. Everything's OK. And this scan means that my cervix was closed. Everything's fine. Uh, the baby's currently breech went home I went to have something to eat with my brother and then I started rolling around all over the place in yoga positions trying to ease the discomfort that I was in and asked my husband to, to drive us home because 
I was in, um, in, in quite a bit of pain and I'd done hypnobirthing with my first and was about to start with my second. So I knew how to keep calm, how to breathe through it, the positions to get into. I basically spent that night doing that. And I was on the phone to my friends and they were like, no, it's too early, it's too early. And even though I was listening to them, trying to perceive that information, I was like, yeah, it is too early, it is too early, but it is happening. I know it's happening, I feel it's happening, it's definitely going to be happening. And and so... Now, Martine, can can you hold that just a second? I want to ask you a, a question that I, I know probably is in the minds of the people here. This is happening at the beginning of 2021. So you guys are in, what is it, a, a, about a year since this pandemic stuff started. Uh, you yeah. see that they're wanting to test people. They have just rolled out all the shots. Did you have any concern about that when you found out you were pregnant? Did um, When you're saying you had a midwife, I don't know if that's kind of the same thing that goes on here. We had midwives at all our home births, but we had midwives in the hospital. Were you looking to have your child at home or were you looking to have them in a hospital? And were, did you have concern about, uh, you know, these shots and things? Were you aware of what was going on with all of that? I, I'm sure other people were wondering that as well. We were looking for a home birth. Okay. And I was quite fearful of having to use the hospital service with my first. She was also a home birth. We did go into hospital um, due to incompetence for the midwife at the time. Um, she was delivered naturally too. This time I knew more about everything and I knew what my body was to feel. So we had planned a home birth Amen. Um, to avoid lots of interference and to just do it privately within our own home. Obviously, when she came so early, that, that changed things. But I went in with the intention, this is where the spiritual part takes place, is that through being pregnant with Malia and continuing on, she gave me such a sense of calmness, which I've never had before. I could be quite um, agitated and aggressive and go in too too much too soon and not get the result that I want with her I was just very calm I was very calm and I thought I'd be worried about all of those things because I'd read so much about it I had several people around me that were pregnant they were having different experiences and I really wanted to avoid any interference as much as possible so when the ambulance was called we we got the nicest paramedics and at that time I'm not sure what it was like in America in fact, when we, were in, when we got to hospital, they hadn't quite rolled out all the vaccines yet and it wasn't mandated. So that wasn't, I knew that was coming, but that wasn't in my, the forefront of my mind. The first thing was, I don't want a C-section. I don't want to be tested. I'm not going to be separated. I won't be giving birth in a mask. And when we got to the, when the paramedics came, my mum was with me, my dad was with me, my daughter was with me, my husband and my little girl. And they had no problems with taking us all in the ambulance, even though the at the time you weren't supposed to be doing that my husband followed me down and my mum came in the ambulance with me and I just had this this the, the most pleasurable state of calmness I've ever had in my life obviously I was contracting but I just felt she was telling me to relax everything's going to be okay and I knew this was meant to happen for her she's meant to come early for whatever reason she's got a mission and she needs to do it now even to the point when we were supposed to be going to a different hospital that doesn't cater or doesn't have the facilities for babies born before or at 24 weeks, that would have to be transferred to a different hospital, which would cause interference. Obviously, they'd have to be incubated, then they've got to be transferred. That's a big risk in itself. And so when the ambulance said Northampton Hospital isn't, you can't go there, it's full, there was nothing about me that thought, oh my God, that's ridiculous. Where am I going to go? What am I going to do? This is, this shouldn't be like this. It was just like, okay, I'm not meant to go there. Where are we meant to go? And it was to Coventry where they have the facility to look after babies from 22 weeks. And the 22 week just left as we'd, we'd been admitted not too long ago. Um, so the experience 
I, I, I wasn't fearful at all. I thought I would be, but I got there. I was fine. None of us were asked to wear a mask. None of us were asked to be tested. None of us were separated. My husband was with me all the time. My mum was with me all the time. And um, the midwives and the doctors, nurses all respected my wishes when they asked me, do you, um, because at the time she was breached, she hadn't quite turned it into a head down position. But I knew from the contractions I had or surges that that was that was what she was trying to do. She was trying to get in position. So I know I needed some more time. So I was having a nice conversation with the uh, doctor. Uh, we were just trying, uh, trying to find something we can relate to. So she had a Nigerian cap on, which is my mother, mother-in-law is Nigerian. So we were talking about that, where it came from, the colours, stuff that would keep me calm, stuff that would keep her calm. And the room was quiet and I was comfortable. If anybody was panicking, it was my mum, my, my <laughs> husband, but they weren't really panicking. They were just in shock, if anything. This was, this was not on the agenda to happen, to happen so soon. They asked me if... Um, they asked me whether they think they're going to do a C-section, and I just said, no, thank you. And they didn't ask me why. They just said, okay. And another doctor said, they went, she went back and had a look at the monitor and said, she's not head down yet, but she's turning. So the other doctor said, okay, we'll wait. They asked me if I wanted, I can't remember what it was. I just said, no, thank you to everything. And they just said, okay, okay, okay. Even when she was delivered, can we give you this to help expel your placenta? No, thank Amen. you. Good for you. Good for you. Thank you. But it wasn't it wasn't a battle. I felt like everybody just gelled with me. And so they asked me what I wanted. I told them what I wanted and there wasn't the battle over it. Um, and even when I was in, in there, I felt like the decisions being made weren't just being made by me. They were being made by Marley as well. It's almost like I saw a ticking something. Yes, no, yes, no. Maybe yes, no, yes, no. Yes, no. Yes, I want that. No, I want that. And that's how the, the whole journey continued, really. Okay. All right. And th- th- I want people to pick that up, that you were telling them on a C-section, a lot of women here in the States are told C- you're getting a C-section and it's almost like it's not a question. So I'm kind of amazed uh, that they would just sit there and take that. But good for you for standing up, realizing, you know, we've had uh, Nikita on, and Kate brought Nikita on. We had her on a couple of times, midwife, and she's, or a doula, I think is how they, they, they use the term. But um you know, talking about just letting the woman's body do what it does. You know, when I read Psalm 127, the Creator has created the woman's body to do what it does. It does it naturally. And men always want to start messing with stuff that they have no business messing with. And the woman usually knows her body better than those who are trying to get the baby out. Okay, so you get there. Let's take this. You you do have the, the baby naturally there. Um, and I want to give people, I'm going to show them some of the pictures that you sent. Some of these I think are in the book as well. But just to give them a picture, this is your daughter, Malia, and um, she is 24 weeks, and they've, they're have they already doing all this stuff to her. What does this do to you as a mom when you see this? Well, for me, it was really alien. So, one second. Can you go up? He's dying. You see, it's true. Martine is the mum of two children. That's and, right. Yeah, they never work with kids and animals because they'll always. Yeah, yeah, you you let those little you let those little ones come right on in. It won't bother it won't bother us for them to be on on the screen or anything. But look at how for those who are watching. Uh, the video platforms, look how tiny that little hand is. And I was telling Martine before the show, I said, I remember when Hannah, who is the one who's pregnant with uh, our first grandchild, um, I remember when she was born and she was in the ICU because she had that esophageal fistulite or whatever it was called. 
uh, and had to have that surgery. And I saw so many of these little preemie babies. They could literally sit in your hand. Uh, that's how small they were. Yeah, I think it's a picture of my husband's hand and being the same size as her. Hmm. But you, that's your question of how did it make me feel. That I, I felt like this experience made me get over a fear because it is my it is my greatest fear to have all of these interventions. Mm. And at that time, I knew she took her own first breath, and then I could, I saw her deteriorate. So she was ventilated there, and then um, because she um, because of the color of her skin and her kidneys weren't fully formed, they had to cover her eyes and have her on a and do a, a light lamp to help with healing her skin. Um, and obviously, the ventilator it's a horrific looking. It's, it's just horrific looking. It's it's just all horrific. <laughs> Um, but I knew how can I speed this up to get her more comfortable as quickly as possible. Mm. And with the thing, with everything that transpired, I think we achieved that because we were discharged four weeks before our due date. And we were told it's unlikely we'll be going home when she was supposed to be due, which would have been in September, but we came out in August. Just so little, (laughs) so little. Oh, I, I remember being in that that ICU and seeing little little children that were probably about that big, and they yeah. had them stretched out, and they had them almost like on a it looked like a piece of tinfoil. It wasn't tinfoil, and then they had the heat lamp on them to keep them yeah. warm. They were so small and so you know premature. And I know that that's a concern for parents. That's a tremendous concern. So what is what goes on after? They start putting all these tubes in. You start seeing all these machines being hooked up to her and everything else. Where's the where's the real battle at uh, for the life of your daughter? So I was the doctors that I had and the uh, consultants and the midwives, the nurses were all very much in alignment with what I wanted. And so the first thing I asked was the first thing they mentioned was, "Can you get colostrum?" I was like, "Yes, I can." So I want to give that to her straight away. Um, so they, she was put on that and then she was on my milk only. So I was expressing straight away from that time. She's only on, I think it was half a mil at the time. Um, and then within a few days, so she, for me, she's just been born. She's very early. She needs to develop. She needs time to do that. There's absolutely nothing wrong with her other than the fact that she's been born early. Others have different experiences. So for me, it was just a case of just leave her and let her grow. Um, because of being born so early, she had a heart murmur and uh, a large heart duct, which is normal anyway. Um, and so I wanted them to allow it to heal naturally. And so they, they gave me a couple of options. We had a chat with them and they said that in these circumstances, it's unlikely that she will either have heart surgery, which is PDA surgery, or she'll have steroids. She'll have one or the other. And I remember her telling me that and thinking, well, she's not going to have any. And I just know that she's not going to have any. Um, and so we spoke about different options and they said within, I can't remember the, the timeline, but it was only a few days they'd scanned her heart. And so they wanted to start closing it up. Um, and so they were looking at steroids, but they were worried about the steroids because she was on so much oxygen at the time. She wasn't breathing for herself. And I could see that she wasn't breathing for herself. And there were attempts where they tried to get her to, but she wasn't ready yet. Um, and then they were looking at surgery. So they wanted to do the surgery. They spoke to me about the surgery. And I said, as she's stable and she's well and she's doing well, she's growing, can we hold off? And all I was trying to do is just buy myself time. And every time I looked at her, I could hear her just telling me, I just need more time. And so I had a very calm conversation with them. I didn't get upset. I didn't get angry. It was just literally like that. I said, I, I look at her stats and I can tell that she's stable. 
And the doctors taught me how to understand the stats. So it's not a case of I'm just a mother looking at them and guessing. I understood them. And then um, they agreed with that and said, we, I think it's because they, there was nothing to argue against because they could see, yes, she is stable. Yes, she is growing. Yes, she is having her feeds. No, she doesn't have any other problems. Yes, you can have another week. And in that time, in that week space of time, I know my husband was praying, all of our family were praying. Um, I was focusing on the outcome. I was imagining them telling me, you don't need it. I was imagining them telling me it's healed. I was doing mantras. I was doing massages. I was holding a hand. I was singing songs. I was thinking of everything that I can physically do to help her. And then the time had passed and they came across to talk to me. And I remember feeling like almost like palpitations because this is the moment where they're going to say what they're going to do. She just had a scan on her heart again. And they said, it's still there, but it has closed up. Therefore, we think if we give it more time, it will start to close. It's almost like when they had this conversation, I was holding my breath. And then when she said it, she smiled at me and she looked at me to say, well done. And then she walked off. Amen. And it was such a lovely moment. Amen. That, um, I was just so relieved. It's such a big thing to have her to be put into an ambulance. I watched, I watched that happen. And it's a big procedure. It's not just a case of, oh, just being transferred, how they put it. It's not that at all. That, the things can happen on the route to that, to go into the hospital, to go into the ambulance. And so I just felt very, very relieved, very grateful. And um, I felt like it was a big thing to overcome. And the next thing were the bleed on her brain um, and her underdeveloped lungs. Um, and I think because I took the approach of always ask questions rather than tell them what you think you know, I'd want them to tell me what they think they know. And if it came to the conclusion as, actually, I don't know why we're doing that. That doesn't make sense. Then it, it, then it wasn't done. So it was things like they wanted to give her fortifier at the beginning. And what I actually did is the first day when I came out, I went home. I was discharged after six hours, which I think is quite incredible considering, you know, I've just gone through this amazing experience, which is, could also be considered traumatic. I immediately discharged. I don't really know where I am. I'm in a different city, a different hospital. So I took that time and I went home to write a lawful and legal letter and I'm not sure. I feel like there was so much, so much energy that I put into this letter. It almost felt like I was safeguarded against everything. Like every time I walked in there, I felt like I was a bubble of protection around me because I'd given this letter uh, and I addressed it to all the appropriate parties. And I'd said all the things I consent to and what I don't consent to and laid it out in bullet point. And they had that letter on file. Tell us that, Marty, because... Um, I've, I, I have a, a kind of letter like that from another mother, but can you tell everybody what you laid out? Because what we're seeing now is, you know, with the system, we're told that we, we don't own our children. We just have parental responsibility. And we know that doctors will override parents. So, and there was during that unlawful lockup, the, the lockdown, as people call it, um, we saw lots of young moms who were not allowed in with their babies. And what, what I, I did notice was this was often, they were often young moms targeted that were single moms on their own. And um, so this is the kind of thing that empowers people. So can you tell us a little bit about that letter? So I put in there, I, during the lockdowns, I learned a, a bit about um, the law, legislation, policies, and started to understand them. So it gave me a confidence to do it because I know what I know and what's right and what's wrong. 
And so I wrote a letter which basically said that um, the, the long and short of it is that they cannot do anything without talking to us first and notifying us, and they have to receive. We have to have, have to have to consent from us first. And so I put in there that she is to only receive my milk. Um, that we'll keep it in the fridge. Um, Good. I put in things that we'll ke- we'll bring our own nappies in and own wipes and everything else because all of theirs had well, chemical base and we prefer to have natural organic if possible. I put in there that she won't be tested on, um, that you won't receive any COVID treatments. Um, I put in there that she won't, she, you, we don't consent to vaccinations. Um, I, I, basically, I basically put you can't you can't do anything <laughs> unless you speak to us first and we've given you consent. You, you just leave my baby. And, and that was received well because I, I wrote it in a slightly different way than I would if I was writing to a utility company. Because at the end of the day, they're looking after my baby when I'm not always there. Um, you know, Martine, want- with with what Kate was saying there, you know, we just did a show, what, Kate, a couple of weeks ago, uh, this young man who was in the hospital. Of course, he was on the life support issue and, and everything. But they wouldn't even let the parents take him out to go somewhere else. They they mm-hmm. I, And I've seen several stories in the U.K. where they have small children. Uh, usually they're not preemies like yours were was, but... They they get these courts aside with them to basically eat, let the child die, rather yeah. than asking mom and dad. And so I'm I'm a little bit, uh, not a little bit. I'm I'm really amazed that you took the initiative not only to listen to your instincts uh, concerning your pregnancy and what was going on there with your daughter, but to take this legal approach and coming in there and really not giving them any room to wiggle and manipulate you or your daughter. Well done. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Amazing. Thanks. Um, so you've gone home. You've been discharged. They were, you've, just, you've just given yeah. birth to a baby. You've been discharged in a strange city. Um, because this is what happened. People, you know, people don't realize if they might have the, uh, the, the incubators, for the babies, but if they don't have the staff to man them, um, you'll get moved to a different city. And that might be well. That's actually what happened to Victoria Kane Marks, whose little girl died. Um, she was pregnant, having twins the same time as mine. Mariella would have been twenty-one now. They literally drove her on Christmas Eve to a different city. So, it, um, so this is what happens. So you're in a different city, and of course now, you know, a lot of the nurses are off sick. The paramedics are off sick. We know why. So you've been driven to a different city. You've gone home with all of this drama going on around you. I don't know where you've, you've thought very, um, you know, methodically, you've written this legal letter. What happened then? And you've, and all women, to, uh, who, people who don't understand, colostrum is what comes first before your breast milk. And then you make your breast milk in the next couple of days. And women will tell you they wake up with these huge, enormous hooters all of a sudden uh, when the milk comes in. Um, we are, our, our guts are very different to that of a cow. And that colostrum has got everything that baby needs in those first couple of days. And premature babies, to give a baby cow's milk is very damaging. And it's also got in number 67 in the amino acid chain, it's got beta casein morphine. And that's what it is. It depresses the respiratory center of the brain. That's exactly what it does. They've known all about it. Linking to cot death is massive studies. So, you know, this is why it's incredible. This is why you used to have people donating breast milk to the SCABOO units. I'm not sure whether you'd want it now from someone that's vaccinated. But 
you know, this is wonderful. You can get your colostrum. And by looking at your baby, it's going to stimulate your pituitary gland in your brain, which is then going to stimulate the anterior portion of your, your thyroid. And then your breasts are going to then start making milk. So it's to use a breast pump, always have a breast pump, buy one ready, just in case I used a breast pump anyway, I used to put it in the freezer for when I went to work. So you've done all this, you've gone home, Tell us what happened next. So when you, the dust's all settled, suddenly you're not pregnant, your baby's in the special care baby unit. What happens next? My husband said to me, everything you've done before now is for this moment. And I believe that because I wouldn't have been able to write any, I wouldn't have thought, I wouldn't have even thought about writing any letter if I hadn't had the last year of finding out about what's lawful, what's legal, the difference between them and how it's used against us. And so I it felt that that was crystal clear. Everything with Malia has felt crystal clear. The decisions I've made, um, even to, to write in the book, I dreamt that. Came, I just woke up and said, I'm writing the book. It's called Shared Moments with a Stranger. If I was to logically think of a name, I might pick something like Marley the Miracle because that's something I would think of. This came to me and through me, so I went with that. So I'd come home, I'd, I'd finished my letter, I brought it in, and I had they had a file for everybody. And every day it's in a drawer, uh, there's a big table and a big chart and they were very good I, I felt very fortunate to be where I was because they they strongly promote the parents being involved they really want you to be involved in that care if you want to be a lot of people didn't want to be and they're happy for the doctor to take, take control but I seem to fit what they wanted so they've used me a lot to say come around this is how we're going to do the ward rounds watch this mum and then I'd talk through all the stats and they'd go what would you like from us today and I say well she's on this can we change it to this or can we stop this now or can we move on and it was always a discussion and I felt there was all the people I mentioned in the book were my key people everybody else naturally were people that I didn't resonate with and those people kind of just disappeared from my reality almost it's almost like I don't know where you went but they didn't interfere with me and my team almost um so given the letter and the woman I handed it to was actually one of the nurses I didn't resonate so well with, but she was on shift at the time and I just wanted it in. And as it happens, and I, I basically should have listened to that and not, get, I should have thought, let's just wait until somebody's here that you do resonate with. And so what she did was put the letter somewhere in the drawer, but not in the file. So nobody'd seen it. So the next day I'd come in and I checked. And, I, and I, I'm grateful for that because then every day I checked everything was where it should be and everything was written down because mistakes can be made. People have done late, long shifts. They're changing over. They don't know you and your daughter. Somebody needs to be there consistently to know everything so there aren't mistakes made. And as a witness mistakes and say, that's, that's not the weight today. That's not the features on. That's not this. That's wrong. And I'd always say it nicely and they'd, say, and they'd speak with me nicely and we'd correct it. So every day I'd check that this information was there. I'd click through the file, check it was at the front. Um, and, a, and a different nurse then made sure it was, it was where it should be. I didn't see that nurse again to the point where I said, where's that nurse gone? He's like, oh, she's somewhere else. I don't know, but she wasn't with me. Um, so then, then I felt like the treatment I received, I'm not sure if it's a letter, the energy I was putting out, the way I dealt with people were always friendly, always smiley. I'm not sure if it was a combination of all or the letter, but since that moment, they asked me for everything, even to the point where they'd phone me at home and say, we need to move her from that bay into a different bay. Just want to let you know so that when you come in, you're not surprised. And I say, thanks for telling me. Please let me know if there's any more changes. And, and the reason I had to go home is because obviously my other daughter as well. And at that point, I wasn't breastfeeding my She was being tube fed still. So I'd come home and talk with my husband. She, he'd come in. And again, we're in a place where 
the rule of one parent per, per unit was not the case. It was in paediatrics there, but where we were, you could come in. So my daughter couldn't, which to be honest, I didn't really want her to see Malia like that because I wanted her to have a positive, a more, a different view. Because It's quite daunting to see as an adult, let alone a child. Um, so they'd phone me with everything. They'd talk to me about everything. I was never interfering or felt like I was standing on their toes. I was always very respectful and I'd chat with them. And I had some of the nicest people I felt around me. Those coincidentally were also the nurses that you would be considered anti-vaxxers. They just didn't want to have the vaccine. So one was pregnant, one wanted to have a baby. So I felt like I was around people who may not be similar and may not be the same as me, but definitely similar in their approaches. Even if it's a case of they don't know why they don't want it, they just don't want it. Um, so I, and there's a lady that I mentioned in the book, Joanna Bradshaw, who um, she, she was very much looking at ways to make the experience as best as possible for premature babies and very, very passionate about it. She would um, say, tell me stories of in the past, how they do all of this without any pain relief for the baby because they didn't believe the baby could feel pain, which to me is just insane that that could ever be a thought because that's what we are. Of course, we feel pain. Of course, the baby's going to feel pain. And then she talked to me about something that Marley would have is, a, is um, they'd take her blood at the beginning quite frequently and then it got less and less and less. But to do that, obviously, they're losing blood. Then they need the blood replaced, especially if they're not generating enough to cut that process out. They're looking at investing in a machine where they can do all of those stats without having to take blood so she was very passionate on trying to make it a better experience for them. Uh, even the um, um, machines that she was on, so the ventilator, not so much, but the high flow, low flow were also quite a bit. The, I can't think of the name of it now. Um, she had a mask over her nose to be ventilated at one point, and that was very, very loud. And inside the incubator, the, la the loudness is contained even more. And she explained that's like a baby hearing a jumbo jet all the time, so that will affect their hearing. But a lot of the things that they do, and they did openly say this to me, we do one thing to help an issue, but it can cause another problem. So they're doing one thing to help you to breathe, which can damage your eyes. Then they're doing another thing to help you breathe that can damage your hearing. They give you this to help with this, which you can damage another thing. So I was very conscious of all these things. So that's why I was taking different herbal remedies to help with her respiratory system and to help with her heart and giving her a massage every day. And all of these things, the people around me in that particular unit, a lot of them have uh, either moved on or left now um were very interested to know what a grounding mat was and why i was doing it or why i had certain crystals inside an incubator why i put a sugar night in there to help to protect from the emf because of all the technology around her um they were interested to know it so it was it wasn't like it was a battle in terms of i have to tell you these things that i want and i need you to understand why i want it and why it's going to happen but it wasn't i didn't feel like i was given a hard time about my choices it was just a Okay, thanks for letting us know. You know, one of the things that you said earlier in there, where well, there's actually two things that you're saying in there, but the first one is distinguishing that legal and lawful. That's really that's really insightful because those are things that we've been covering here of late for people to understand the difference of the terms and why they're being used the way they are. They are being used against us. You're exactly right. When they say something's legal, it's being used against us. But the other thing is, is realizing just some simple things that, you know, uh, we've had... Uh, several doctors on, and Kate's mentioned it too in her training, where there's the indoctrination that goes into doctors and nurses and stuff, and they don't get a chance to ask questions, and then they get out in the field, and those who are actually paying attention, they're not just there to get a paycheck, they're actually paying attention, they're going, wait a minute, all this stuff we're doing isn't benefiting 
the patient. It's actually, in some cases, making them worse. You were talking about, well, they can do this, and yeah, it might help their breathing, but it's going to mess with their eyes. Or they can do this, and it's going to hurt them in this way. I think that's very insightful, and I think it's something that we should encourage women who are listening, who may be looking at getting pregnant, or they are pregnant, or they have uh, their daughters or their whoever in their family, they can encourage them to come in here. Hey, wait a minute. This is a lady who didn't just do whatever they said. She took the initiative to learn the stuff on her own. And I want to throw this this last picture up because I was asking. Uh, you know, I showed uh, Salt came in. He goes, oh, am I coming into a depressing story? And I said, no, this is a this is a uh, a very encouraging story. In fact, it's so encouraging that I saved the best for last. This is your little girl. And she is, what, 15 months now? Yeah. This is the little girl that we were showing you throughout the the show here with all of the uh, the tubes and the all the stuff that they're doing the poke and the prod and all this stuff. This is this little girl now. 15 months old. What a beautiful little smile she's got. She's only got what four teeth there, but she's got a beautiful little smile there. Praise the Lord for what he did there. Praise God for what he did. Thank you. And what you were just saying about the doc- so I went in with um, the approach that people just don't know. Sometimes it's not a case of them trying to harm, be harmful towards you. They just don't know another way. And so when they were discussing PDA surgery for our heart, I even though in my head I'm, I knew that was not going to happen and should be fine, I still asked all the questions in case that was not the case, even though I knew we didn't need to do this route. I asked what is the procedure if she does need to have it, and they told me she'd be transferred a different city to have an operation with a different surgeon um and then i said and um, and how does that work during this period of time well she she would need to have a covid test and you two would need to have the covid test despite the fact that we're not leaving the city she'll go there and come back within 45 minutes um so i said i explained that it's i asked what would happen if she doesn't have those things and she said the surgeon wouldn't do the operation. I said, can you check that that would be the case? So she spoke to a consultant and he came and spoke to me and said, if she doesn't have a COVID test, she will be denied the treatment. But I didn't say anything at the time. I went away and um, I did draft a letter initially, but I didn't need to use it. And I just came back and said, you know, it's a God-given right to receive these treatments and that mm. you can't take them away from you if you don't want to have a test. Mm. Martin, so I contacted the hospital. Martin, can you hang on? Can you hang on with us over the allotted time for just a few minutes? Yeah, sure. Okay. All right. Do that. I want to give out one thing before we have to close out the radio show. You guys will be able to see the images and pick up the book. I have the link in the archives and stuff. I want to leave you with a blessing for the week. Uh, have a great weekend, a great Lord's Day. Get with the people of God. Read the Word of God aloud. I'm telling you, it's powerful. And Lord willing, I'm going to talk to you on Monday. May the favor of our Father rest on you this day. May the Father release blessings upon you in your life. May the name of the Father bless the labors of your hand. May the Father bless your household. And may the Father quicken your heart to remember life and death are in the power of the tongue. And may the peace of the Father dwell in your life and bless you in your spirit, your soul, and every fiber of your being. May you experience friendship with the living Yahweh. May you experience peace that surpasses anything you've comprehended. May you have your own encounter with the love of Yahweh. And there is no other name in which is given unto man in which we must be saved, healed, delivered. That name is in Hebrew, Yeshua, Hamashiach, Jesus, the Messiah, our righteousness. Amen. Have a great weekend, Lord's Day. Again, read the Word of God together. Read it out loud. It is powerful. Lord willing, we'll talk to you on Monday at 6 a.m. Adios. 
Okay, I want to welcome anybody coming over from Red State Talk Radio, and I didn't mean to interrupt you again there right at the end, but we just had to close that out, and I wanted to get that blessing into the people on the radio and for our viewing audience. And so, Martine, if you want to go ahead and continue your thought, please do so. So I went away and I contacted the hospital set and myself and said, can you tell me what your policy is with X, Y, and Z? And they came back to me and said, we'll require a negative test from this person, this person, this person. And I said, can you tell me what happens if you respectfully decline those tests? And they replied and said, um, the surgery should go ahead. We'll simply wear more um, protection. And so I had that as if I needed it, I would have gone in with that. Um, but I just wanted that to show. So then I spoke, started to speak with some of the nurses uh, who are also of the belief that it's it's ridiculous if you don't want to do that, that they would stop you from having that surgery. There wasn't anybody there that didn't agree with that. And I, sh- I showed them the email back from the hospital. And then I pointed out it's just a case that these policies are changing all the time. Policy is specific to you guys, not for me. Um, we have a choice. And if we choose not to do what you wanted to do, you can't take away our right to receive that. Treatment. Amen. And I'm having these as general conversations with different nurses, different doctors. And I understood from that that they just they can't keep up with the amount of policies that are changing. They think one thing and then that thing becomes fact, but it's not fact. Um, so I highlighted that it's not something I mentioned in the book, but it was something that happened. Um, and there was another thing with health and safety being a different department in there. Um, they would often change things at a drop of a hat. So one minute the doctor can be around the incubator, the next minute they've got to wear what looks like a full hazmat before they can do anything. Um, It didn't affect me, but I did say to the consultant, why are you wearing that? And he said, oh, because health and safety said blah, blah, blah. And I said, but that doesn't make any sense because the last 24 hours, in fact, the entire time I've been here, you've not had to do that. Now you have to do that. And look, the doctor here, Marty. He's got yeah. his mask on underneath his nose. I know. I know. <laughs> uh, you know, only a nurse would spot that. <laughs> so, uh, he's still, he's breathing through his nose, blowing. It's, it's nonsense. It's absolute, yeah. it's ridiculous. And, um, well, we all know now that respiratory viruses, we've all know, I've always known, we've discussed this, Tim. They don't exist. It doesn't exist. And you've got top doctors saying they don't exist. What you've actually got is toxicity. And what's interesting is Martine has limited, exponentially limited the amount of toxins, uh, both even when she's talking about EMF, smart woman. I'll tell you, your husband's one lucky guy. Yep. Yep. Um, And you're lucky. You know, we're not. He's lucky. (laughs) You know, you're lucky to have him. But um, even right down to the grounding mat. Fleming's right-hand rule. Um, the grounding mat, you know, everybody should go outside every day barefoot. It's it's remarkable that she's thought about all of this toxicity. And it's that toxicity which makes you ill. And, um, you know, these babies then, um, what do they do with these babies? They come in and they stick straight in their heel. The, this vitamin K shot, the, it, it's just relentless. And... and it's all right, the nurses and doctors, and this is why we're in the most incredible time in history, which, you know, the last part of healing is when you teach others. And that's exactly what this woman has done. Um, but, um, you know, I, I'm going to ask for you to I'm going to introduce you to Dr. Jafita. You need to speak to the midwives down in Mexico, the, the Mayan midwives. This is one of those stories that will is remarkable for them. Um, but, you know, to to, you know, these babies are, are exposed from a minute they are born to all of these toxins within the hospital, the benzene in the baby wipes, 
This is so toxic. It's a massive carcinogen. The baby nappies with the little, the little silicon balls in, toxic. Well, we now know that sanitary wear has got graphene oxide in. You can bet your bottom dollar it'll be in the nappies. Bleach, it's all bleached. Um, so you've got all of this. It's, nurses can no longer turn around and say, I didn't know. Because your code of conduct mm. states you should know. You're supposed to advocate. Then you've got the domestic services coming, cleaning, and they're spraying into the air more of this, more of this toxic soup. And um, it is without a shadow of a doubt when I, when I began to read this and listening as well now, this little girl has flourished because of Martine's intervention. It's, yeah. and, Amen. She, and, you know, she could teach any midwife, this is why I've said every midwife and every nursery needs to read this book. And uh, I'm going to get you introduced to the Mayan midwife, all the 20,000 rural midwives down in, in uh, Guatemala, who, of course, they're not going to, they're not going to have access to a lot of this stuff. Sorry, that's my chihuahuas and my house guest chihuahua. Um, <laughs> they're not going to have um, on cue. Uh, they're not going to have access to this, but just some of the things um, that Martine's talking about here, um, and, and the very simple act of which they do know about skin to skin. But what does skin to skin do? That baby gets in your biofield, your energy field, and we know that that exists because this is how they measure with an ECG your heartbeat That's right. or an EEG of your brain. So this is just—it's just phenomenal. Well, Kate, and, I'm gonna—I'm um, gonna back up what you really said. Emotional. I'm gonna back up what you said, and Martine, you can tell your husband. Don't you forget it, okay? Proverbs 18.22, Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor with the Lord. And guys, let us not forget it. Uh, I loved what Brent had to say this week about the woman and about her contribution to the man. It's incredible. Thank God he made women. There, and I know men who who think the exact opposite. This woman. Yeah, the, <laughs> yeah and and so yeah, you can pass that on to your husband and say, now don't you forget this, oh, honey. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you know this is um, it's it's remarkable. I'm really quite emotional. Um, really is because I've seen so many babies die, and I'm sure many of those babies could be saved. And we are in. Um, the most remarkable time where people are not going to want to go the old route. And what you've yeah. done is you've just literally, there was the old route and here's your thinking of the new route. And you just literally bridged the gap. I, I don't think you quite, I, I actually don't, I think you're quite humble. I don't think you realize um, the impact that you're, what you've done is going to have in the future. Oh, thank you. Well, you know, you you and let me add something to that too. You're you're like a lot of women that I know, specifically my wife. My wife, she gets on the computer and she'll just look up all kinds of stuff. She'll get books and she reads them to know what what is this going to be good for this? Is this going to be bad for that? Should I be doing that? Should I not be doing that? She's been a tremendous uh, source for my daughter too. I've watched as they've had conversations. I think they've probably gone closer together. Not that they weren't close anyway, but closer together during my daughter's pregnancy. Uh, than at any time from that mom sharing, you know, that information. This is what Titus 2 talks about, about the older women teaching the younger women. So I think the Lord's preparing you, uh, Martine, to to not only be used now, uh, you're going to have a voice that you're speaking to a lot of women now, but as you get older, as you, Lord willing, will give you 
to see your children's children, you're going to be an influence on them. And, I, and you, that knowledge you'll pass down to them, and hopefully it will become wisdom to them. It just won't be something that mom told me, and then I forget, and it goes out the window, but you'll do the other. And as I was showing the picture, we got all kinds of comments about your little girl. They just want to pinch your little cheeks <laughs> and things of that nature. But again, this is not a depressing story at all. And it starts out depressing, if that's the way you want to see it. It's like... You know, I know some people would ask, why would God let this happen to a little baby? But people have to understand that our sin, our sin brings a curse on us and the world. And so these things have to be overcome. And the Bible tells us that they're overcome by the blood of the lamb, the word of our testimony. But God is merciful to us every day. The Bible says his mercies endure forever. And I see this little girl here. Oh, my goodness. Uh, and I see God's mercy in that, Martine. I really see his mercy in that. Well, what you just said, I had a moment where I was just a loss of all faith in a particular moment when I was walking through the hospital and I saw I saw teen parents eating McDonald's and other pregnant women outside, literally outside the hospital, smoking. And I felt like at that moment, it was a big slap in my face of all the things I try and do and prepare myself for, the things I read, the things I take. I felt like none of it has made any difference to me. But this experience, it's not something that I would necessarily choose to repeat, but it is something that I'm grateful for because um, some something I read recently is things don't happen to you, they happen for you. And this is something where okay. I've, I've grown so much. I've utilised all the things I've done over the past into this moment and and found my way through it and utilize all the things all the all the things I felt were pointless me knowing this this is pointless that I know this have, have now come to for me to use them for a reason and what you said about being here for this moment I did feel like with the book very even though I was I was in hospital with Marley it was all formulating in my head and I had this, the brain space to still do that and I kept thinking I was so in had like inspired action to keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep writing. it. I, write, I worked with a lovely lady to help me do the book and put it together. And then there was, I, I launched it and it was, it was more for my, my children and for my family, but I did want to share it with anybody else. If it helps them to have a positive experience where I wanted to make it a quick read. So you could read it if you're on a neonatal unit. And then there was this pause immediately after I didn't want to particularly use Amazon I'm struggling to do it through my own site. And then I just thought, well, what, what was all of this action for? What did I do all this for? And the, but the pause was something I welcomed. Like, well, something's coming. I must be receiving something to do something next. And the next minute, my my best friend mentions Kate, who I told her to speak to for her for her issues. And then this has now come together. And again, I have that inspired action to do things. And and yeah, it's just been it's, it's been a very interesting period. Well, Martin, will you tell people about your website and where they can find out more about you? I've, I've dropped the link into the chat for people and also at Amazon for the book, and they can get it on your website. Can you tell people a little bit about your website there? Yeah, so the website is iampossible.co.uk, um, and you can buy the paperback through the website, which will take you to Amazon, or what I couldn't do on Amazon is offer it at a donation. So you can buy the ebook and you can donate amount that you want to to receive it. Really nice, really nice. I like the picture too. <laughs> oh, it's, well, it's wonderful. Can I just say, can I just, uh, this is the page that I like. Okay. I like There's a little short page here and it's got the picture of the best looking yeah. family I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> and it's reflections. It's, it's really lovely. So I'm going to read this as another woman to a woman. This is me okay. reading back. 
I go through this with Malia. Um, to go through this with Malia was my own personal fear. I didn't want to be pregnant during a pandemic. I'd heard that labouring mothers had been forced to wear masks and fathers had been banned from births. I read that if you or your baby tested positive for COVID, then mum and baby would be isolated and separated for 10 days or more without contact. It was as if the universe said, you have to get over this, face the fear and do it anyway, became my mantra throughout Marley's time in hospital. My negative preconception of the NHS was shattered by the paramedics who let mum ride with me on the way to the hospital and by the three angel doctors who had my back throughout regardless. The NHS I'd encountered had heart and compassion. I saw little of the forced mask wearing or isolation, the COVID-related myths you see on social media. Of course, I can only speak of those I met on NICU, but it seemed to me that they were a unique breed of people who cared for those babies as if they were their own. I feel privileged to have met the angels in the NHS, maybe as some of the restrictions were lifted or the fact that each hospital or each ward within the hospital has a different policy. My experience was different. Or maybe I was just in the right place at the right time with the right people. How? Well, that's another story. Mm. So, you know, for everyone out there right now, and we have met some rotters. You know, I know a lot of rotters. I, I uh, was spoken to last week by midwives where uh, they don't agree with the injection and they won't have their babies or their children injected, but they're working at the injection sites um, for extra money injecting other people's children. And I've always said all along, I used to say for every good nurse, there was 10 really bad ones. And I said, I could put a couple of zeros on that. This time in history is showing each of us who we are and it's also the separating the wheat from the chaff. Yes. And even with our own family and friends and what it's actually just shown this amazing woman in front of us is it's literally showed her that there are some really good nurses. Like I always say, there are some really good ones and they're, they're, they don't want to have this injection. And, um, it's there is a reason, you know, God always puts us, it's God's spiracy, always puts us in the right place at the right time of where we're meant to be. And even when things that are really bad happening and we think, oh, this is terrible. And and even, you know, people that have come into our lives that have caused us great hardship and heartache. When we look later, we see it's a lesson and we've been taught something. And those don't be under any illusion here that you actually would have taught those nurses lots as well and would have brought out their better side and their better judgment. Amen. Amen. Martin, can I add one here too? Um, you know, in the blessing that I gave, I gave this, This it was out of this. This is again from Proverbs 18.21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. And I, I can't help but... But think of this little, uh, there's a, a section in your book mm-hmm. called A Baby Named Hero. And you did this very thing. And would you mind if I read just this short little passage here? Yeah. Okay. In the incubator opposite uh, Malia was, uh, Malia's was a tiny baby named Hero, born a little later than Malia at 28 weeks, I think. One evening, a crowd had formed around Hero's incubator. Must be something else you can do, I heard Hero's dad say emotionally. He's on the maximum amount of steroids, the doctor replied solemnly. Hero was given 48 hours to live. 
At that time, the rule was that only parents were allowed into NICU or the NICU. However, under the circumstances, they allowed for Hero's sibling grandparents to visit as it may have been their last opportunity. The hospital priest from the chapel came and said a prayer with them. The grandparents performed a Hindu ceremony with the family. The area around his incubator was screened off to give them the moment of privacy, but the energy was infectious. The family being together for the first time, the connection, the hurt, pain, and the will for his survival I could feel so strong. Tears streamed down my face as I rested my head on Malia's incubator. This is not your fate. This is not your energy, I said to Malia and Bakim at my side. I hope I'm saying his name correctly. Um, I whispered over and over again, Come on, Hero, you can do this. And day after day, Hero was still there. He passed the 48-hour mark, and eventually, after some time, was discharged home. He became my glimmer of hope, my hero, too. Isn't this book just wonderful? Mm. Uh, very, very practical. We're not talking about witchcraft. We're talking about encouragement. We're talking about speaking life to people. I mean, my goodness, that's power. That was that was just ah. And and you and, think and, about and these little helpless ones. They can't do anything. Yeah, every page in this book, every single nurse and midwife, you have to buy this book. You have to read it and watch what comes out of your mouths. Amazing. Amen. Amen. We need to be thinking about what we say. That's exactly. I've, I've been challenged. Uh, the The other day we were talking about words uh, with Brent Winters, and I believe Salt said it. So you guys will know that I said, even though I did it in my introduction, I'm. That's a place where I got to repent. He was just using the term "morning" and how M O U R N I N G and M R N, and we're saying good morning to everybody. And, you know, have a nice yeah. cry or whatever. We be whatever. Spells. Yeah, Word say good spells. day, like good it. day. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I want to give you each of you ladies. Uh, Martine, we'll give you the first shot at this, and then Katie, if you'll close us out, and then we'll close out the show. But thank you for being on the show. And uh, after you guys finish, I'll close out the show. And if you'll hang on, I'll say goodbye to you off air. But Martine, we'll turn it over to you first, and then Katie, if you'll follow her. Any final words that you want to speak to the people? Um, I would just say, no matter what you do or whatever situation you're in, come from a place of kindness because when you put out that kind, positive energy, the ones that can't give it back just almost disappear from you. And, the, and the, only the ones remain that can. And then your experience, no matter what it is, no matter what you're going through, can be drastically improved and be looked upon as an experience that you needed to continue to grow. Amen. Those are good words. Kate? Wonderful. Amen. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much again. Like you said, it was it was really strange the way we came together, the way I met you and I've got your book. For everyone out there who is, is you know, planning on having a child, uh, get your diet right first. For anyone out there who's pregnant now, you can still make a big difference now. You can talk to your baby every day. Your baby hears you. And um and so when we're in, you know, arguments and discourse, even when we're pregnant and some some women now are not in good relationships um, they, and, and they can't do anything about that. Um, and there's a lot of uh, uh, domestic violence goes on when women are pregnant. And for those women, no one's saying, you know, it's very easy for people to say leave when they're just they can't do that. But whether it's because of finances or culture, there's many reasons. But go away into a quiet place. Speak to your baby. Have that time where you just are you and your baby and put your faith in the Lord and uh, and pray. 
And uh, I don't know what else to say. You know, I, I keep reading bits of the book and, and it's wonderful. And um, I feel very blessed to share a Saturday afternoon uh, with, uh, with Tim, who's my favourite bloke. And, and now to me, I've never met anyone quite like you. Martine, and I feel very blessed. So yeah. it was wonderful. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, ladies, for today. Thank you for your extra time, too. And uh, be sure to check out uh, the site. You can pick up the book there, iampossible.co.uk. Iampossible.co.uk. And then also on Amazon. All that will be in the, uh, in the links in the archive. Guys, have a great weekend, a great Lord's Day. Again, get that Bible out. Read it. If you don't have a church, I know many of you don't have a church where the preacher preaches what the Bible says. Then get together with some friends. Invite them over. Have lunch together. Read the read the Word of God together. I'm sure there's people in your area who want the same thing. At least read it. Uh, pray with one another. You know, bless one another. That's what we're called to do. And uh, Bradley be with you at 3, two hours today. You can catch him, sonsoflibertymedia.com. And then, Lord willing, we're going to be back with you on Monday morning, 6 a.m., bright and early. Talk to you then. See you. Bye. Bye.